Psalm 119, verse 121. I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. My eyes fail with longing for your salvation and your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your loving kindness and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for they have broken your law. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and I panted, for I longed for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious after your manner with those who you love, your, love your name. Establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes have shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. You have commanded your testimonies in righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. My zeal has consumed me because my adversaries have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. I am small and despised. I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. I cried with all my heart, answer me, O Lord. I will observe your statutes. I cried to you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. Those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from your law. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Of old, I have known from your testimonies that you have found you have founded them forever. And Father, we pray that you would guide us now as we work our way through this text. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. So whenever, you know, going through books of the Bible, you kind of, sometimes you hit stuff that really resonate with you. Other times you hit stuff that, that you read it, you read it, you read it, and it's just kind of doesn't connect. And you're like, well, if I was just going to pick and choose, I'd probably skip over or only cover a portion of it. But we go through intentionally because I believe that God uses this and, and hits people at different times in different places of their life. And as I'm reading this, I'm probably not in a season where this, this hit me as intensely as other times. Like I'm, I feel like I'm in a, in a, in a sweet spot like right, right now. I'm, I'm in a, I just had a baby boy and we're, we're excited and, and we feel just we're in a, a good place. But David Jeremiah said that you're either in a storm 
just exiting a storm or you're about to go through a storm. So I know the time will come when I, a season will come when I'm going to go through hard times. And when I look at this passage, this clearly was from somebody that was going through something very, very difficult. The, the more that I study Psalm 119, the more I'm kind of, I think that it was King David just looking at his life. It, it, maybe it's because we're going through Samuel on, on Wednesday nights and seeing just the, the trials that he went through. That here's a guy who was living for the Lord and yet a bunch of difficulties came his way early on. And as I'm going through this passage, a man keeps coming to my brain and it's Pastor Yusuf. And if you're not familiar this, if we can click to the next slide. You know, I, I imagine this psalm, this man is an Iranian pastor. He... Uh, He's married. He has a couple kids. I forget how many kids. He's of um, his his grandfather. I think was of uh, practiced Islam, but he was never raised Islamic. And he's a Christian. Iran has placed him in prison and issued him the set, the death penalty for um, apostasy. Um, he says, "I've I've never been Islam Muslim, and so I've, I did, I'm not apostate." According to Sharia law in, in Iran, once you've been found guilty of this, you have three days to recant. And he's absolutely refused to recant. And he said, I will not recant for Christ is risen. And I'm a Christian and I'm not going to back off. He's been in prison for over a, a thousand days. Um, at this point, they could execute him at any moment. Um, right now, because there's, the, the world has been, um, there's been an outcry against him. What, what Iran's doing to him, they've said that they're going to reschedule an appeals uh, hearing for September 8th, which is less than three weeks away. Um, so, so I want us to be praying for Pastor Yusuf. But at the same time, he comes to mind because this picture is taken from him in his prison cell. And, and he's been there for three years. And he's got his family. And what's he done? He's, he's professed Christ in, an, in, a, in a Muslim part of the world. He's done nothing wrong, and yet he's facing severe persecution. And so I'm thinking, why well, I, as an American, live a pretty comfortable life. And I think most American Christians, we have it so comfortable that we forget often what it really means to follow Christ, that, that we have a lot of fluff, and we, when everything's kind of stripped away is where you get down to like the irreducible minimum of like what's important in life. And so as I read this psalm, this portion of Psalm 119, I imagine a guy like this man, likely King David, writing. And it changes the, the color behind this. The first two verses start out with, I have done justice and righteousness. These words justice is literally to serve like as a judge, to, give, uh, to make judgments that are right and to make hard decisions as he leads. He says, I've, I've done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety. This word surety is literally, it's, a, it's, it's like a down payment or a guarantee on a mortgage. So he's asking God, be surety. Be my assurance for your servant for good. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. And so right away we see that the the desperation and the place that this author is in. And you might not find yourself in prison for, for no wrongdoing, but certainly we all go through seasons when the world's problems and things press down upon us that 
that we feel so totally helpless. And throughout this, these four stanzas, we see the helplessness of the author and that he, the only hope is found in God and that God is bigger. And in this first part, I see that this person's done everything. He's done everything that he can do in his power to walk with God. And he just has to put it in God's hands and I've done, I've done everything I can do. Things are still bad, and, I, and I, I can leave it up to you only. This week on the radio, I was at our new house. I really like it. There's a sweet radio station. It's a Christian radio station. It's out of Riverside. So I think we're like on the part of town that we're getting the radio waves. And uh, they were, I kind of, you know, when you turn on your car, you get like segments of, 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 of programs. And as I'm heading up the hill, it's starting to come in. And this lady starts talking. And she said, well, about... It was like five years ago, I went to the emergency room for a migraine headache. They gave me a shot to, to alleviate the pain for the migraine. I went home, and three days later, I was in a coma. And basically, they did emergency, uh, emergency surgery in my brain. They, they had to remove like a, a, maybe not a third of her brain, but a huge portion of her brain. And she said, she's like, you know, I, I have no memory of anything before that event. Um, my family shows me pictures, and I love my family very much, and she's kind of describing it as heart-wrenching. She's like, what that experience showed me is before the surgery, I had a nice house, a nice car. I had everything going for me. After the surgery, I had nothing from all of the hospitals. Everything that I had would fit in my car with my family. And she said something profound. The last thing she said is, she said, you know, I never... What did she say? I got to write this down. I didn't realize that God was all I needed until all I had was God. And I was like, whoa. And I think it's in these moments of like, as, as God starts putting us through trials and trials start hitting us, that we, we really come to focus on, you know, Lord, you're what I need. You're, you're my only hope. And, and in that, that's where contentment comes when he comes through and we see, oh Lord, even in the midst of this, like that I have peace. And this author here, he's, he's going through something difficult. He's done nothing wrong. It's not that he did something foolish or sinful that put him into this predicament. He's walking with the Lord, and yet these people are oppressing him. He said, I've done nothing wrong. Don't, please, Lord, be my, be my help, be my surety. Don't let those who oppress me oppress me. Verse 123, my eyes fail with longing for your salvation. And this isn't spiritual salvation. And then in the New Testament, the word salvation so often is used for, for bridging the gap that because of sin, we've been separated from God and we refer to salvation as spiritual salvation. So much in the Old Testament, when we see the word salvation, it's literally like physically saved from oppressors. That he doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. And he's longing for the Lord to deliver him from the situation. My eyes fail with longing for your salvation and for your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your loving kindness. I love throughout this, the author continues to focus on God's character, his nature, what he knows about God. And there's so much wisdom in that. When there's uncertainty in life and you're confused and you're worried and you have concerns about the unknown, about your future, the things we need to go to are relying upon God and reminding ourselves who God is and his character. And he says, deal with me according to your loving kindness. 
So even though I've done nothing wrong, Lord, your loving kindness is you're faithful. And even if you're going to use some sort of difficult time in my life, I'm okay with that. Deal with me according to your loving kindness. And teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. And there's, we see this inadequacy, this, this not understanding fully what God's doing. And his number one request is, Lord, as I'm navigating life, would you give me understanding? Would you help me to understand your revealed word that I would draw closer to you? We'll get more on that later because it's going to, there's some repetitive. So I'm noticing Psalm 119, there's kind of some themes that keep resurfacing. And as he's thinking about it, he says, it's time for the Lord to act. For they have broken your law. He sees that as he looks around, he's like, Lord, you've, it's about time for you to intervene. You've got to do something here. And one thing that's for a little sidebar, but it, it, it never ceases to amaze me God's patience. Like all through the Bible, I see people getting frustrated and at their wits end long before God gets to their wits end with other people. And I think there's something for us to learn in God's character. But here he is. He said, Lord, will you act already? Will you intervene? Verse 127, therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I esteem right all your precepts according to everything, concerning everything. I hate every false way. And so these eight verses, this first stanza here, we, in the beginning, we see that he's done nothing wrong. He's, he's done justice and righteousness. He has oppressors. But in the midst of this, he clings to God's word. Ask God, God, give me understanding. I'm ready for you to deal with me. Please deal with me according to your loving kindness. It's bad. I know you're going to respond, but I focus on your word. Give me understanding. Lord, in the midst of this trial, help me to get all, everything that you want me to get out of this, out of this. How do we go through trials? Do we complain? Or do we say, Lord, in the midst of this, show me, reveal to me what you want me to learn through this. It changes everything with our perspective. As our perspective understands that God's bigger than whatever you're going through, it helps you to navigate difficulties, helps you to to glean more for life through those circumstances. As we come to the next Hebrew letter, the pay. He begins with this, this one, these eight verses stood out to me. I, I love these. Just beautiful, the Hebrew language. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. So he speaks of God's word. He says, your, your, your word is wonderful. And because it's so wonderful, I'm going to observe them. If you turn with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. The author understood the beauty of God's word and the importance of it in his life. And over in 2 Timothy, Paul was going through a difficult time. would probably be an understatement. I view 2 Timothy really as Paul's sort of last will and testament. He knows he's about to be executed. His prison sentence was no longer under house arrest. We, he, he's He's in a, it literally in a pit. He's freezing. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy, I fought the good fight. 
I've ran my course. I'm now being poured out as a drink offering. And a drink offering, they would pour the fluid over the hot fire and it would just go up in a poof of smoke. Nothing would remain. And, and Paul recognized he's at the end of his race. And he's trying to motivate Timothy to go the distance. And in this, verse 16 and 17 is a verse Christians know. We use it almost as a, as a doctrine on the Bible, which it is. And it says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. But sometimes when we just take a verse and we give the snapshot, we lose the context and we, we, we lose the, the fuller depth and the understanding and the emotion that's happening. If we back up to verse 10 and we ease into this passage, we, we read this. Now you, he's speaking to Timothy, the young man that he trained, that he spent years investing in, who in this letter, I believe Paul sort of handing the baton on him to carry on the race. He said, now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them the Lord rescued me. The Lord was going to rescue him out of this prison sentence, but it was going to be through death. But according to like human perspective, it doesn't seem like the Lord rescued him, but the Lord took him home. And Paul says, Timothy, you've seen me. You've walked with me. You've seen me endure. You've seen my patience. You've seen how I've handled persecution. You've seen me in being under arrest. The Lord's been faithful to me through all of this. Verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I've never seen this in one of those cute Christian little books of God's promises. Like why? That should, that's never been the cover. Like, like you go to a Christian trinket store and there's the little books like the gifts book. God's promises and on the cover, the verse. Indeed, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Anybody here memorize that verse as your assurance? But it's truth. But we don't like these sort of promises. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy was a young man. We know from his story that he, he, his dad was out of the picture, a Gentile, a Greek, a non-believer. Yet his mother and his grandmother were Jewish and they poured into him as a young man. And he says, you've been reading about God's word. You've studied this from a, a young childhood age. You know how faithful he is. So you continue. And then from this, we see verse 13. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God or person, it's not just men, it's men and women, may be adequate, 
equipped for every good work. And from here, he's charging Timothy. If you go into verse one of chapter four, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience. As a pastor, that one always jumps out at me. If you've ever taught kids, when I... When, when Ann and I were first like in the, you know, liking each other phase, didn't know we were going to end up being married. I went to a Spanish speaking church. I speak very little Spanish. And so we ended up with the kids and we would go with the kids because they speak English. And there was Pablo. He was a Cuban, real dark skin, just a wild kid. I loved Pablo. So funny. Every week for like two years. We would lay out, okay, Pablo, Jesus loves you. He died for you. All you have to do is believe upon him for salvation. Two years of this, just the gospel. At the end of two years as we're leaving, we say, okay, Pablo, what's it mean to be a Christian? Don't cuss. No, Pablo. (laughs) Come on. It's easy. Softball. How do you become a Christian? Don't hit your sister? And, and, And... And adults can be just like Pablo. (laughs) We don't get it. I try to speak clearly, and and every pastor does. And maybe this is just for me, but when it says rebuke, exhort with great patience, that great patience stands out. It says you got to love them like Jesus. People won't get it on the first round. You do this patience and instruction. For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. Okay, back to Psalm. The reason I point out that whole context is when we see that for all scriptures inspired for God, for all inspired by God, and it lists all of the things that it's good for. This is Paul on his, literally his deathbed, his last writing to Timothy. He says, I'm leaving. My life's going to be taken from me. You've seen how faithful God has been. You've seen the importance of the word and the centrality of it. Cling to it. Teach it. Observe it. It is your guide. And this psalmist in 129, as he writes this, 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 this stanza, and he says, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. He understands, not just from the stanza, but all of Psalm 119 that's focused is, is on the word of God. He says, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And I just think that that's beautiful language. And we're missing it in the English as we've said over and over again, this is this Psalm 119 takes one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And in the Hebrew, the beginning point of every line would begin with that same letter. 
And it still works out beautifully in the English, which amazes me. But the, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And I don't know if you've ever had those aha moments in Scripture. I, I certainly know that I have when I, when I come to it. And all of a sudden, the Spirit just zaps you like, aha, I needed that. And there are certain ones that really stand out to me. Working through Romans. It was in that time when Ann and I were going to get married and we stumbled across Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. And it speaks of this, this, that Paul longs to be with them so that they could be of mutual encouragement, that they would encourage one another in the faith. And I remember the Lord kind of saying, that's what marriage is all about. That you would encourage one another in your relationship, in your walk with me. So we had it engraved on Anna. I don't know why we didn't. Maybe it, because by the time we bought mine and when we bought hers, like maybe the time was elapsed. But on the inside of Anna's ring, I think it was our engagement ring, we had engraved that verse on the inside of her ring. It's worn out now, so you can't see it. It's, it's went away. But I, I tell, I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> but, but there are a bunch of these verses that have just like zapped me over the years when the truth has unfolded and it gives wisdom to the simple it says, I open my mouth wide and panted, for I long for your commandments. In this heat that we've had over the, I don't know if you guys have noticed, there's been a little heat wave the last couple of weeks. And we've done some panting. And if you have animals, like my cat has been panting. And I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen, like cats don't, stand, I mean, my dogs are always, you know, <sighs> but my cat the other day is like, <sighs> it's, like it's hot, buddy, isn't it? Like, just like, give me, it's like you wish you could say, if you drink some water, it'll make you feel better, but they don't always get it. Like this logging, like, I just need something to quench this. And what he's talking about, he opens his mouth wide and panted, for I long for your commandments. He's just longing for the, for God to speak to him through his word. And as he's in this place, he, he lists a bunch of requests. 32 through 35, he asked God very specific things. Will you do this for me? Verse 132, what he says is, Turn to me and be gracious to me after your manner with those who love your name. He said, will you turn, your, turn to me and be gracious to me? For those who love you, you're so gracious to them. And as I read these requests, it reminds me of Numbers chapter 6, the great... At every wedding, I guess you're supposed to do it after the, they kiss. But at my wedding, my father-in-law is still harassing me. Like after it's like, hey, you can kiss the bride. When you kiss the bride, you're supposed to turn around. And then he says, the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. But we took off before he even said that. So it was a great lesson for me. I say this before the whole kissing because once the kissing, it like erupts and it's like, it's out of control at that point. But if you'll turn with me over to Numbers chapter 6. This is, to the Jewish people, this was a big verse. This was within the scriptures. And this passage, after all of the Nazarite vows and, the, and, and, and explaining certain laws. And if we go to verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel and then and I then will bless them. So this is a great promise of God. God tells Moses, hey, tell Aaron to, to tell all of the sons that this is what you're supposed to say to the sons of Israel. This is a great promise that God gives to them. Every Jewish person would know that passage. And as the psalmist writes, I see that promise of God that he is praying this prayer. The prayer he's praying is one of the promises of God that God's already given. Turn to me and be gracious to me. After your manner with those who love your name, establish my footsteps in your word. And do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Lord, establish me. Help me to know your word. Help your word to not just go into my brain, but into my heart that it would affect how I live my life. Lord, keep sin from reigning over me. I want to be free from it. Verse 134, redeem me from the oppression of man. Buy me out of this. Take me out. Let me be in your control under your authority. That I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant to teach me your statutes. This, this is Numbers chapter 6. It, he's just taking a Bible verse and he's applying it to his prayers, which is the, really the best way to pray. You know you're praying according to God's will if you're taking the word of God and you're saying, Lord, do this, what you've promised. Please, Lord, help this to be real in my life. And here he is in this desperate time, and he wants God to be gracious to him. He wants him to shine his face upon him. And the reason is that he could walk in his word, that he could be free from sin, that he could walk according to his precepts. And then verse 136. This verse, I think, highlights, explains. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, as, as Saul had sort of wasn't shaping up to be the king that God wanted him to be. And they were searching in Samuel 13. They said, there's David. Go find the new king of Israel. And it says that this is a man after God's own heart. And it doesn't mean you don't have to do much of a study of David's life to realize that he was not a perfect man. And the one incident with the incident with Bathsheba, it's been said he broke nine of the Ten Commandments. I think the Sabbath is the only one he didn't break in that little incident. It's like, how can he be a man after God's own heart? And it's not that he was perfect. It's that we'll read this verse. It says, my eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. And I think that when he missed the mark, when he wasn't walking with the Lord, he felt the same way about his sin that God felt, that he was grieved. And are you grieved about your sin? And I would encourage you that if you're grieved, like so often when a young Christian or a Christian comes to me and they say, man, I just feel horrible. I did, you know, you fill in the blank, whatever it is. And I feel horrible about this. It's like, well, that sure is a good sign because that means that the spirit of God is working on you. And if you have the spirit, we're told that the spirit will convict you, will lead you into righteousness. And and David, literally, that, that there's like a river of tears flowing down his face because they've not kept your law. He realizes that when he missed the mark, that it broke his heart. And so to have a heart after God's doesn't at all mean you're perfect because in this life you'll never attain it. 
And if you think you have, I always say you work on the pride, <laughs> the sin that God hates the most. But in 1 John 1, 9, I'm so excited about 1 John. And I was like, you're getting pretty excited. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I, I, like 1 John is one of those books that I just love. And in 1 John 1, 9 or 8 and 9, it talks about if you say you have no sin, then you don't have the spirit. Like there's this, if you don't say that you have sin or you acknowledge that you've missed the mark, you have no clue. Like you, you're missing it. But if you have sinned, you can confess your sin. And it says that God will, will make you righteous. He'll cleanse you. And so this heart of repentance is what God wants. And moving on to the next one. This is one of my favorite Hebrew letters. Tzade. Took me like all of Hebrew to learn how to say it. Was I close? Tzadi. I did it. Yeah. It's just kind of cool. It's like, it's like a, yeah. So we get Zadi. I don't get to say Zadi that often, you know, so it's a fun one. It's just kind of, you know, it's tongue in the top of your lips. It's fun to say. Hopefully you have a Bible that spills it out for you. And with this one, the next two stanzas, the Kof, and these next 16 verses, I, I see this compare and contrast. He focuses on God. He admires God for who he is. But then in contrast, he recognizes how insignificant he is compared to God. And there's this like, there's this focusing on God. And as we focus on God, it helps to like lift us up. And he begins the first two verses. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. You have commanded your testimonies in righteousness and exceedingly faithfulness. This is important. What does the Bible reveal about God? And as we're going through life's difficulties, God's bigger than all of our difficulties. God can handle whatever we're going through. Sometimes, and I think a lot of the time when we face struggles, God's using them to refine us. And as we're going through these difficulties to remember, okay, Lord, I know you're righteous. You're loving You're kind, you're merciful. So whatever I'm going through, I recognize who you are. He's not corrupt. He's not unloving. He's not wrong in his decisions. He's totally right. He understands what the big picture of what he's trying to do in our life. He says, my zeal has consumed me because my adversaries have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. I am small and despised. You ever been there? I'm helpless. I'm a nobody. Yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. He's eternal. And your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. It's like, God, you're righteous and faithful. I'm small. I'm insignificant. My adversaries are coming after me, but I know your word's true. I know your word's true. I'm going to cling to it. I'm going to hold on to it. I wait upon you. This last little verse there, that last little section, is the only request in the stanza that I see. He says, give me understanding that I may live. All through Psalm 119, we see this request for understanding, that we would have discernment. And I think understanding is the key to the Christian life. 
the ability to say, okay, I want to be here and I'm here now. For me, it was understanding. It's like, man, I was in this terribly abusive home. My mom was an alcoholic. She was violent. The whole culture within our home was, was not godly. And the cycle tends to repeat itself. That's all I knew. But in my young age, somewhere around 22, I started to kind of see myself from the outside looking in and saying, this is the path that I'm on. I don't want to end up where this path goes. I want to be over here and I want to, I want my life to be like this. I want to be happily married. I want to have a family. I want to love my kids the way that my mom didn't necessarily love me. But Lord, I'm here and my trajectory is taking me over here. How do I get to there? Give me understanding. And this understanding is what God gives to help you to live your godly life. And I've seen so many people. I mean, the Unshackled radio program, not even my, before, uh, like I even knew that I was going to be on Unshackled. I used to listen to that every Sunday morning. And it's amazing to hear how many people's lives God has transformed, that he's taken them off of one path, placed them onto a new path. And that journey begins by God giving that person understanding. And as they get understanding and they observe what God has commanded them to do, they have life. And then there's so much wisdom here by this author. All he wants, Lord, give me understanding that I could walk the path of righteousness. And then we see some desperation as he, he unpacks this in the kof, the next stanza. I cried with all my heart. Let's skip down to verse 46. I want to read a couple of these. I cried with all my heart. I cried to you. Cry for help. I wait for you. I may meditate. Like all of these things he does, there's desperation here. I cried with all my heart. Answer me, O Lord. Like he's praying, he's praying, he's praying, yet God seems to be silent. That's a difficult place. This, this brokenness, you want to move forward. You're calling out, you're calling out, you're calling out with longing to hear God's voice. But it doesn't seem like he's responding. In that place, he says, I don't hear your voice, but I'm going to observe your statues. I don't hear you, but I'm going to maintain this path. And Lord, please answer me. You've revealed yourself in the word. So I'm going to take what I understand. I'm going to move with what I understand, but I'm longing to hear your voice. I need to hear your voice. I need clarity. I need understanding. I cried to you, save me and I shall keep your testimonies. I will rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait upon your words. This desperation in my journey, one of the highlights of my life in my spiritual walk was a low light in my life. The chargers. I'm not talking about how they played. That, that's, that, <laughs> that gets really discouraging. But I was 21, 22. I was in the throes of my drinking in the, in, in the beginning steps, the stages of going back to church. Feeling like God was walking, but the drinking had gotten out of control. And there was one Charger game. I remember the Chargers played, and it's, it's when my drinking started. And then I stopped drinking, and it was a couple days later, but I'm still, like, throwing up. I'm, sure, I'm certain I had alcohol poisoning, but I never went to the doctor to, like, figure out what's going on. And I just remember, like, dry heaving over a toilet bowl, just in desperation, and going, Lord... 
I've made a mess of this. Lord, if you would just get me out of this pickle, like if you would just help me to stay alive, I will not do this anymore. I will do whatever you want. I will keep your word. I will walk after you. Just make this go away. Careful with the promises you make to God. Like I, I was, I mean, I can look now. Like I don't know if I was sincere then, but he helped me to maintain my promise as I'm here. But there are these situations where, where you just don't even know where to go. Like you're so low and you call out to God because that's the only person you can call out to. Not per, I mean person, but God. I cried with all my heart. Answer me, O Lord. I will observe your statutes. I cried to you. Save me. I shall keep your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. And I don't think David was in my situation, the psalmist here. But this idea of like, that, that the intensity of his concern would keep him up at night, that he rises in the middle of the night and he prays. He's crying for help when he should be resting. He's waiting for his words, but he's not hearing anything. My eyes anticipate the night watches, meaning I know I'm not going to get any sleep. It's going to be the middle of the night. I'm not going to sleep. But in those moments, I may meditate on your word. That in those restless moments, if you can't sleep at night or if you've got anxiety, don't count sheep. Pray. Recite scripture. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There are things that we can meditate upon in those moments where we draw our hearts to God. It says, hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. He wants help. He wants to, he want, you know that song, Light the Fire Again? You, you, get, you get the feeling that he's in a place where his candle's kind of burning very dimly. And he just wants God to like pour some gasoline on him, to set him afire. That he would fill him with a freshness, a newness. Revive me according to your ordinances. Those who follow after wickedness draw near. They are far from your law. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. As the pressure closes in, as his enemies get closer to him, he reminds himself of the truth of God's omnipresence. You are near, O Lord. There are times, it's, we're funny as humans. I feel very comfortable being around God, like in Valley Center in San Diego, like in my, in, in my kind of like my comfort zone. You travel halfway around the world when you still like, you fall asleep and you still feel like you're flying and traveling. And it's kind of like, man, are you over here too, God? And it, you kind of feel like God might be more distant, but it's, I've been in these moments of traveling where it's like, what part of the world am I in? I don't have those moments that often anymore, but there are times when I was bouncing around the world and it's like, where, where am I? What, what continent am I on today? But, but being there and feeling like I was far away from God because I was far away from home and reminding myself, no, the Lord is everywhere. David said, if I go to the bottom of the sea, you're there. If I go to the, the heavens, you're there. If I go as far as the east, far as the west, everywhere God is. And as those are, as his safety is it's, he's losing his safety because his enemies are oppressing. He says they are drawing near. 
They are far from your law, but they're getting close to me. But you are near and your commandments are truth. God's word is a fixed point of reference. In this age of relativism, what is true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. That's so false. You say gravity's truth for you. So you don't want to jump off a roof, roof, but I don't believe that gravity. So there's no gravity. Does that mean I can go jump off the roof? <laughs> sure. But I'm going to break something going down. You know, the truth is truth. And he recognizes that God has revealed. And as we share God's word, we don't have to, our arguments, it's not up to us to prove it true. We just have to be faithful to it because it is true. And of all of old, I have known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. He understands that these are God. This is God's eternal word. And as I go through this, there's a couple things. It's an early one today. I knew it would be short. Rick was worried. He's like, you're doing four today. I'm like, it's going to go quick. It's okay. But through Psalm 119, like I've been marking orange. Orange has become my symbol for anything related to God's word, precepts, ordinances, statutes. Every single one, there's a ton of orange. It's clear that the psalmist, as he writes this, that God's word is the key to all understanding. It is the anchor point of his life. He recognizes that as the closer he remains to the word, the better off his life will be for him. The Bible has an amazing ability to give us wisdom and discernment as we navigate our life. It's weird. Like, I don't understand. Like, I don't read other books and think, oh, my life kind of gets changed or they hit me in special ways. I can enjoy books. I read a lot of books. I don't read all Christian books. And I think, oh, there's like that, man, there's some like great stuff in there. But there's something about the Bible, God's inspired word, how he works through it, how it transforms us, how it chips away at our life. And I'd encourage you to be in the word. If you don't have a Bible reading plan or you're kind of absent, you know, like from reading, sometimes, <laughs> you know, you, you get a brand new, somebody who has no um, orientation to the Bible and you say, oh, just read the Bible. Here it is. <laughs> it's big in. Man, I, I can barely get through Curious George, let alone like this book. This is, this is kind of intimidating. Like, how do you just start cranking through this book? I don't think I could read it in a lifetime. We'll pick one book. You know, in two weeks, we're going to start 1 John. There's only five chapters. It's very small. Like, just start working your way through 1 John. And, and see, the thing about the Bible is you, you can read the same book over and over and over again, and you'll get something different from it. I'd encourage you to read 1 John. Just, just begin reading it over and over and over again. And then when we go through it and we start teaching from it you'll just be surprised about how it starts like in getting involved in your thoughts and as you go through life you'll see things and god will use the word to speak to you and to guide you it's crazy it's just really strange i mean i i wish i could explain it better than that but to, but but to know that god takes his word it goes into our hearts and then he he uses it in an amazing way to comfort us, to guide us, to give us peace, to shed light to situations that, that don't seem even remotely connected to the word of God. Like who you should marry. Like the Bible, there was no verse that I saw in the Bible that said, 
thou shalt marry Anna Jean Hilton on this day. But as I was in the word and as I was with her and I was praying and reading the scriptures, God used his word to give me an amazing peace to, to affirm and assure my decision to marry her. Thankfully, he did it to her, too, because she had way more of the gamble marrying me, in my opinion. So I'd encourage you to get in the word, to read it little by little, to, to before you start reading, to say, Lord, will you help me read this passage? Will you help me to, see, to understand what it means? Help me to see how it applies to my life. Amen. And then read. If anything jumps out at you, just make a little note. It's okay to write in your Bible. Like, if, you, if a question comes... Questions are great. Email me a question. I love getting questions. God's word will transform your life in ways that you can't even possibly imagine. And so, Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that as it unfolds, as the psalmist writes, that it gives understanding to the simple. Father, I pray that you would revive us, Lord, with a passion for your word. Lord, I thank you for this, this author's heart, Lord. And as I read this passage and I think of pastor Yusuf, who's sitting in an Iranian prison right now, facing the death penalty, not knowing day by day, whether he'll see tomorrow for his family, his kids that are on the outside looking in. Father, we pray um, that you would, um, that you would continue to give him peace. Lord, may you grant him salvation through that situation. Uh, Father, we pray um, that you would use that Iranian believer to do great things. I pray that you would comfort his family. Lord, I thank you for his, his testimony, for his example. I pray that you would help us, Lord. We who don't know persecution and that even close to that realm, Father, we pray that you would help us to um, just to glean wisdom, Lord, from his example, Lord, that we would stand strong in the little bit of resistance that we get in our culture. Father, help us to um, just to know you more intimately, Lord, that you would just be at the center of our life. We love you so much, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.